0: Lord, I ask this morning that you would use whatever it is that I have to offer. I pray that as this week was a little different, filled with illness and inability to think well, and Lord, that you would use your word to speak to us, change us, make us more like Christ, that we might live kingdom first lives. And it's in His name that we pray, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Just in case you had any questions, I'm the pastor that got her sick. <laughs> you can probably hear that. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. We're going to jump right in to verse one. Ephesians chapter three and verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then you're probably gonna see a big dash right there. So you've, if you haven't yet, I'm gonna let you know, uh, Paul's writings are sometimes complex, convoluted, um, run-on sentences, they go all over the place. Hopefully you've seen that within this study of Ephesians. Um, This is one of perhaps the most convoluted. Here's the outline of what happens. He starts the for this reason right there. Now jump to verse 14. For this reason. That's where he continues the thought that he was going to do in verse 1. But you'll see that dash right there something he says in the first verse makes him decide he needs to address that. So he begins to address it with verse two, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And right there, where he intended to go is if you jump to verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart. That's where he intended to go there, but also decided with the next verse that he had more explanation that he needed to give before he could get back to that. This particular section is all over the place. My hope this morning, um, I won't cover the entire thing, we're gonna do it this week and next week, is to show you some of the reasons why this particular chapter really made Paul just kind of go all over the place. Um, and, and And it will hit you partly, notice he says in the first verse, I, Paul. He does not do that very often. He does it in Galatians once, in 2 Corinthians once, and in Colossians once, where right in the middle of what he's doing, he suddenly says, and I, Paul, um, which seems kind of strange almost, but think of it like this. If I wanted to make a call to our church to do something together, I might say, as your rector, I am calling you to do this. That's the idea behind when Paul does this. All right, what we've just hit is a high point for Paul. All right, now, chapters one and two, filled with so much rich theology and beautiful images and promises and blessings, and, and yet this right here, there is something about what Paul is doing in chapter three right here that it leads him to go, for this reason I, Paul, He wants to do something. Now, I'm gonna tell you what he wants to do, and that's what we're gonna cover next week. And then we're gonna go back to what he does. Here's what he wants to do. Look at verse 14. For this reason, now here's the reason. Are you ready? I am going to review chapters one to two in 60 seconds because it's really important. For this reason, what reason? You have been called to bless God Because God has blessed you with so much, you will never be able to give as much back. In fact, it's so much that I am praying that the Spirit will actually enlighten you. Like you can't even grasp it all without the Spirit's help. And remember, you Gentiles, that you were dead in your trespasses. Like you weren't supposed to get any of this. You were totally separate from God but he made you alive in Christ so that you could have all these blessings. Not only that, but as Gentiles, you were separated from the life of God, all the covenants and the promises and all those things. They belonged to the Jews. He even pulled you into that. Like he made you part of that. That's your inheritance now. To the point that in verse 22 of chapter two, he says, in him you also. He did not have to have verse 22. Because every, he's already said this. But it's almost like he has to get across to them, you guys also are getting this. You are in Christ. And here's my prayer, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven, and that's actually plural, it's the same term he's been using, heavenlies throughout the rest. In the heavenlies and on earth is named everything, everything that exists, That according to the riches of his glory, he's talked about those, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in you. That was the high point for him. It was, here's the blessings that you didn't deserve. Here's my prayer, you understand him. Here's being made alive in Christ. Here's all the things that you have because you are in Christ, but I also want Christ to dwell in you. That's what we'll talk about next week. So what happens? Why doesn't he go there? I mean, he literally has 13 verses that get in the way of that. What, what happened to him? Right, this is what happened. Yesterday, it was hot. Um, and in the evening, it was really nice. In the morning, it was hot. And at 7.55 or so, I'm sitting on the patio, and I haven't mowed the lawn in almost two weeks because I traveled and then I got sick, and so the lawn is like this high. We're losing children in the lawn. And I tell my wife, okay, it's almost eight, I'm gonna go mow, and she goes, you can't do that. It's almost eight, I'm gonna go mow. She said, you can't do that. It's the rules. It's the weekend, you gotta wait till nine o'clock. But babe, it's gonna be 106 at nine o'clock. Can I not go right, you cannot go right now. fine. So I'm out there and, and by the time I get out, it's like 9:30, and by the time I'm done, my son looks at me and he's like, When did you go swimming? <laughs> I mean, it's that bad. All right, so that's my day. So this morning at 6:45, it is beautiful if anybody was out. I mean, the weather was gorgeous. The sun had just started coming up. Our backyard faces where the sun comes up. It was hitting the clouds. I mean, Beautiful sunrise, uh, we have a little fountain, so it's like making that you know, calming water sound. I'm out there with my Bible, put my final touches on this, and it's 6.57, I know because I looked, I hear, Room! and the guy behind me, one over, starts mowing his lawn at 6.57 on Sunday morning. Can I tell you what happened to my beautiful morning? The sunset did not look as nice. Like everything just, this is not right. It was this dissonance that came in. And I really wanted to go stick my wife on him. (laughs) Tell that guy, but she was already at church, so I couldn't. That's what happened to Paul. A lawnmower started right in the middle of what he wanted to do. Paul had this beautiful image, this beautiful thing he wanted to say to them. He wanted to talk about Christ dwelling in them. Except he said something that it was too dissonant. It, like, that doesn't fit. And he got, to, and I'm thinking, he got to thinking, I, I got to address this. And, and he does. What is it? I, Paul, A prisoner. he's been a prisoner at this point for up to five years in jail. He's been incarcerated for five years. Does that sound like the servant of the all-powerful God who is bringing heaven and earth together in Jesus Christ, who is rescuing all of these Gentiles and saying, you're now part of something amazing. But Paul You can't even get out of prison. Like Rome is in charge, not the God of the Jews that you're preaching. Not only that, I guarantee you this is happening in Ephesus. As they are following Jesus, they are not following the gods of the Romans. And they are being harassed for it. Businesses are suffering for it. Some of them possibly could also be thinking, Paul's incarcerated, what's next for me? And so when Paul says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he then breaks off and he goes, I'm gonna address this and I'm gonna tell you, because when you get to, his main point was, I ask you not to lose heart. I don't want you to be, I don't want you to lose motivation. I, I can tell you, I sat out there and I read my Bible and the lawnmower stopped and I went, okay, I can keep going. Well, that was just to dump the grass out, apparently, because then it started again. I'm like, I can't do this. And then it stopped. Third time it started, I said, I'm done. I'm going inside. I'm over. My motivation is gone. I have lost heart. Paul says, I don't want you to lose heart. But here's the key. I don't want you to lose heart because of me, is what Paul is saying. This morning's message is not... Directly, how do we as believers not lose heart? Because this is a bigger question for Paul. How is it that we as believers don't cause others to lose heart? How is it that we take our situations where we could very easily lose heart? We could very easily be unmotivated. Or, We could just handle things really poorly. What happens when another believer sees the way that we're handling things and they begin to lose heart? So, why is it that Paul doesn't? And what does he tell them? How is it that they could not lose heart? Look back at your text. Verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Notice on behalf of you Gentiles, for you, and this interesting word, stewardship of God's grace, that word means to del out, to be the administrator of, um, to be the manager of. Um, do you remember Paul's call? He was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He actually has a calling to administer God's grace to the Gentiles, to be like this project manager of grace on this beautiful thing that God gives to him. He says, that was my calling. How the mystery, verse three, was made known to me by revelation. And he said this in other letters, that it wasn't just something he made up. No human came in and taught it to him but he was given to it by God. As I've written briefly, verse four, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. You'll understand why I have it, why I can tell you all these things, things that weren't known before this, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and his prophets in the spirit, this mystery is, and he defines it, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They are members of the same body. They are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the good news. This mystery, Paul says, I was made an administer of it. Now, what does that have to do with encouraging them? Paul knows what God wants from him. And he's doing it. Paul is fulfilling what God has called him to do. Why does Paul not lose heart when things get bad? Because he's absolutely convinced that what he's doing is what God's called him to do. And so if things go wrong, that doesn't change that he's doing the right thing. For Paul, it is more than a fact that he's been called to this. All right, we all know lots of facts. Let me give you one. There's more water in the world than there is land. Does that impact any of you much? Doesn't change anything. My daily life is not affected by that whatsoever. All right? we have, there's so many facts out there that are true. His calling to do this is a conviction truth. It is something that he absolutely believes in. I'm doing what he's called me to do. That's what matters. He has no regrets. Sometimes loss of motivation, loss of desire is because we have regrets. Like if I go down this path, I don't really know. Paul has no regrets about what he's doing because he absolutely, fundamentally believes this is what God has called him to do. A conviction truth can change how you see things. I have mentioned before in the church um, that I've never been the coolest of people. Um, If you have a dial of coolness, and here's zero, I think I get off zero, but I don't know that I make it to one. It's a little movement of the needle. However, I can tell you at one point in my life when that needle was way off of number zero, it just kept going. I used to drive a black SUV, and when I got in the vehicle, the cool factor just shot up. I would drive into neighborhoods, and children would gawk, and women would just swoon. Men, they would just look away, because they just knew they couldn't be that cool. But do you know what I drive today? A minivan. That is the opposite of cool. It is a black hole of cool, actually. You get into cool, into the van, and it goes below zero. I go into negatives of coolness when I get in there. But I drive it anyway. Do you know why? Because of a conviction truth. It is so amazing for children. Do you know that I can leave a grocery store carrying two children who are fighting while I'm carrying them and bags of groceries and still open up the vehicle and then dump them all in without using my hands (laughs) because of that key fob. Do you know what my children never do? They never open the door and ram it into the car next to them because the doors don't open like that. They just open like this. I am convicted about the van, even over my coolness. A conviction truth can change how you see things. Paul is absolutely convicted that what he's doing is for God. And so the results aren't as important. If I'm in prison, I'm serving God. I mean, notice how he writes it. A prisoner for Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, Paul, but Christ Jesus is not running that Roman prison. You are not chained to Jesus. You're chained to a Roman guard. That's not how Paul sees it. Because he is doing the work of Christ, it doesn't matter where he is or what's happening to him. He's doing the work of Christ. And here's the thing, Paul constantly brings this up. Throughout his writings, he's constantly talking about, I've been given this gift, I've been given this mystery, I'm sharing it with everybody, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. How, you will never develop a conviction truth by listening to a sermon every Sunday. It is not enough. This was a regular, everyday thing for Paul. He reminded himself in his writings, and I imagine just talking to people, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because I'm serving the Lord. It was constantly before him. Why am I doing this? How often are you thinking about why you're doing what you're doing? And how often are you just doing stuff? He was always reminding himself. Hey, I have another conviction truth in my life. A conviction truth that did, did not start out as a conviction truth. Here it is. Aaron Bowman is the most beautiful woman on the planet. She is the woman that I want over every other woman on the planet. It didn't start that way. Now, when I first saw her, I wanted her because she was hot. But I didn't want to marry her. I wasn't ready to say to every other woman out there, I'm not interested. That... That took time, that took, and I'm gonna use this word, engagement. The more I thought of her, the more I thought about what to do with her, the more I spent time with her, the more I thought even about the relationship, the more it developed into something where it was no longer just she's hot, it was she's hot and nobody else is. I want her, I wanna marry her. Because conviction, truth, doesn't just happen. Remind yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? Or, why are you doing some of the things maybe you shouldn't be doing? Is it because you're not thinking about what you should be doing? About what you're called to, about what he's called you to? That was regular for Paul. Engagement with his calling. That was one reason he wasn't discouraged. Look at verse seven. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. That's a whole lot right there. But here's what he says. This calling, this thing that I do, it's a gift. All right, let me give you some other words you could have used, right? Think of the way that you or I might describe our service to God or to others. All right, let me give you a couple of ways a job and i don't mean any, anything inherently wrong with that we could think of it as a job we could think of it as a task we could even think of it and use the best uh, connotation of this word as a burden we could think of it, any of those things paul calls it a gift he calls it grace that the act he actually does i mean to the point, for to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, this unmerited gift was given to me to do what? To preach to the Gentiles. All right, so let's say for a moment that Paul thought of his preaching to the Gentiles as his job for the Lord. Inherently, in that is this. He preaches, he preaches, he preaches. I should be getting something back. It's a job, right? I should be earning something from this. Either God should be giving me something back. These people should be responding in a certain way. Or let's put it as a task. Things he's supposed to do. And my task is to preach. Well, eventually, uh, haven't I checked enough boxes? Haven't I preached to enough people? I mean, at some point, don't I get a break from this? They're not responding anyway. Or... What if he saw it as his burden for the Lord? At some point, he's gonna be crushed underneath it because it just keeps weighing him down. He doesn't see it as any of those things. Now, let me ask you, be honest. Has your service to the Lord ever felt like I should have gotten something back? I'm overwhelmed. Why aren't these people responding in the way that they should respond? This is, you know, I've done enough. I I need somebody else to do this. See, here's how Paul sees it. This is a gift. I've given you a gift, Paul. You get to do this. Um, Back when I taught at an academy, there were a whole lot of uh, wealthy families at the academy. I mean, very wealthy. And you could see it by looking at the student parking lot and the teacher parking lot. You know, the teachers drove like Honda Accords that were beat up and the students drove Beamers. I mean, it just brand new, I mean, it was amazing. And I, my first year there, I overheard two students talking and it kinda just, it opened my eyes to what I had entered. Um, because up to that point, I was like, okay, I can see there's a difference, but this opened my eyes. These two girls were having a conversation. This was after Christmas. One of them was complaining to the other one because of their Christmas present. Their parents had bought, her parents had bought her a brand new BMW and she was complaining about it because it was white, not black. And she was very upset by this and her friend was going, I cannot believe that. How could they do that to you? And I wanted to say something, but I couldn't say anything. I'm just going, would you like my black Honda? I'll take your white Beamer. I mean, it was just blew my mind. I I remember getting my first car a 1979 Mustang. The thing had all kinds of issues with it. But my dad had worked his tail off to make this thing run. And I mean, for a year, we had all kinds of parts that all went broke and everything else. But all I could think of is, I have a car. I mean, I was given a car. Like most of my friends didn't have cars. I did. I had a car. On my 16th birthday, I had a car. That's how Paul sees his service to God and to other people. I get to do it. Like, I don't care if it breaks down. I don't care if I'm in prison. I don't care if you don't respond. I get to serve God. Like, could you believe that? I mean, you could see Paul going around to people going, I get to serve God. I get to serve God. Yes, I'm in prison, but I get to serve God. And what did he do when he was in prison? Every time, every record we have of him in prison, he served God. Like, he sang songs, he wrote letters. I mean, he never stopped. It wasn't like, oh, I'm in prison now. You know, how dare God do this to me? Or how dare the Ephesians not come stage a rescue? I mean, take on Rome, come on. It was never none of that. Paul was like, no, I get to serve God. It's a gift. And he he just kept serving. Why was, why was he not discouraged? Because he still got to do it. It didn't matter what was happening in the world around him. He still got to serve God. He loved his gift, and he would use it no matter what. Why was Paul not discouraged? Because he knew what he was doing. He was serving the Lord. It's like, I'm serving God. How can I be discouraged? And number two, he's given me this gift. Like, this is actually a gift to be able to do this. Why would I ever be discouraged when I get to serve God? And finally, verse 13. So I ask you, Ephesians, don't lose heart over me. I'm not losing heart. Like, I'm in prison right now singing praise songs and writing letters to people. Like, I'm... I'm, Please don't lose heart over me. I'm still serving my Lord. I'm still using the gift he's given me over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Here's the last thing. For Paul, none of his service was ever for his glory. It was never for people to give him a pat on the back. It was ever about him, period. Everything he talks about in here. On behalf of you Gentiles, it was given to me for you. This was so that I could reveal the plan of God to other people. It was always about either God, or them, or this person, or that, or this church. Paul didn't get discouraged, he was in prison, because he cared about the glory of God and everybody else. And what if I'm in prison, who cares? What if everybody think I'm a total loser because I'm in prison? I don't care. It's not about my glory. It's about his. Now, how could it be for their glory? What is Paul's calling? I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. And you are Gentiles that are coming to salvation. You get to be in glory. Like, you're actually fulfilling my calling. Why does it matter that I'm in prison? So please. Don't lose hope over me. I am fulfilling what God has called me to do. I am living out the gift as if it is a gift. And I'm doing it for the glory of God and everybody else around me. So don't lose heart over me as I'm still singing the praises of the Lord. And we be that person? Could we begin, if we haven't already, can we begin to, every day, remind ourselves, you know what, I don't do the right thing just because it's the right thing. I do it because of him. That's part of my calling. This is part of walking with the Lord. Every good decision I make is not just, yes, check a box, I made the right decision. That is true, and I'd rather you make the right decision than not. However, there's something bigger. It's to go, I'm making the right decision because I'm following Jesus. And this is part of it. And every time I make it, it's following Jesus. And can we begin to look at our service as a gift instead of a burden or a job or a task or anything else we wanna say, but a gift. Everything you do for the Lord. I mean, just imagine. Let's take something very, very simple. We have ushers here every morning. And I know that standing in the parking lot isn't the best thing to do. Handing out bulletins isn't the most exciting thing to do. But what if every time you walked in here, you went, I get to do this for God. He's giving me the gift to do this. This is me doing it for him. And what if we looked out for his glory and for others and went, I don't need it. I just don't need it. Because you know what? I've been raised with Christ Jesus. I can't get any more glory. You got all the glory you're gonna get. When we get to eternity, it's even gonna be more glorious. And we live like that. There was an elderly preacher back in the early 1800s in Scotland. He was... I guess you could say, um, almost attacked uh, by one of his deacons. His deacon came to him and he said, the board has talked and we need to know what's wrong with you. Because over the last year, only one person has joined our church. And it's a little 15-year-old boy. We need to know what's going on. Something's wrong with your preaching, something's wrong with how you're doing things. Well, the preacher had felt it. Let me just tell you, if you ever lead a church, you feel everything. You feel every family that gets upset about every stupid thing they get upset about and every legitimate thing they get upset about. There are those two. You feel every family that gets sick, that has to leave, whatever it is, You feel that. This pastor felt it. He hurt. And during a sermon following that conversation, as he's in the sermon, he felt convicted to resign. How hard do you think the rest of that sermon was? So he finished his sermon, finished the service. He's letting everybody leave. They're all taken off, and last person there is that 15-year-old little boy. He comes up to the pastor, and he says, Pastor, do you think I could become a preacher? Or, no, a missionary? And he went. I think you could become that. I think God could use you for that. He got all excited. That little boy, his name is Robert Moffat. He was one of the three big missionaries to go into Africa and just turn the country upside down. He'd become a little boy that would be invited into the homes of nobles. He'd bring hundreds to Christ. He'd reach savage tribes that others wouldn't. But here's the problem with that story. That rarely happens. Most pastors, they don't get that 15-year-old boy. They just come to the end and go, things aren't working. I, I'm not working i am I gotta step down. I just, I don't know what to do myself. And then they go become plumbers and things. Because the Robert Moffat stories are not regular in our lives. Because that's not our calling. It's a beautiful story. It's true. But it's not normal. You know what Paul had? Paul had a conviction that he was working for God and doing what God wanted him to do. Paul absolutely was convinced that he did this for God's glory out of a gift that God gave to him. Not that Paul was giving to God. And it allowed him to be faithful his entire life, no matter the ups and downs, no matter the churches that fought. And I mean, just read his letters sometimes. I mean, there are churches that are arguing with each other all over the place about all kinds of things. Paul's like, what are you doing? But he didn't give up because it wasn't about that. It was always about God. Can we be there? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be those people that would never cause another believer discouragement, We know, Lord, that things are gonna be tough at times in our lives. That is life, that's a fallen world. We're gonna have struggles with jobs and relationships and acceptance and there's just so many things, Lord, that we're gonna struggle with. But Lord, help us to handle them in a way that is like the Apostle Paul did. To not let those circumstances dictate how we respond in serving you. Instead, let our service of you dictate how we respond to our circumstances. But give us that kind of faith, that kind of focus, that kind of commitment that we might come to the end of our lives with no regrets, even as the apostle Paul did, because we lived it for you and your glory. We ask this in Christ's holy name, Amen.